Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. And church, welcome. Come on, put your, put your hands together. You made it to Sunday after Thanksgiving. You made it. So many could, uh, they got, they're still out on vacation. They're still eating, eating turkey. Man, I, I haven't eaten dinner in the past three days because I have eaten, I, I'm honest, I, I haven't. I've just eaten so much that I don't even want to step on the scale. In fact, when, every time I walk into my closet, I rebuke that scale in the name of Jesus because I don't want to just, hey, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome our church family online. Um, hey, if you have your Bibles, go to Psalm chapter 73. You know, we've been, my dad and I have been walking through um, s- some extremely important Psalms. How many like the book of Psalms? How many like, you know, it's like you, you can read a verse or you can read two verses and you can get all you need. And I gotta be honest, since I've been, since we've been walking through, you know, an entire Psalm, I- I've just looked at these a little bit different because I, I know there's something that somebody is singing. It's, it is a Psalm. It's, a, it's by a psalmist. But as you read the entire psalm, not just a verse or two, you start to realize that this is kind of like a conversation that somebody's having with God. They're kind of belting out some frustrations and then realizing who God is. And, and, and there's, there's a shift in most of the psalms, which a lot of them are written by David. There's a shift in, in David's perspective. And so I want to read Psalm 73. Believe it or not, it's not written by David. It's by a man by the name of Asaph. And I'm not gonna read all 28 verses at this moment. We will though, but let me read just a few in verse one. By the way, Asaph is the chief worship leader in the sanctuary. How many thankful for the, the worship leaders in the sanctuary that lead us into worship? So Asaph is one of the chief worship leaders in the time of David and the time of Solomon. In fact, First and Second Chronicles would say that Asaph was a prophetic musician. He was a prophetic psalm writer. This is verse one. It says, surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped and I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Go go ahead to verse 11. They say, how can God know? Does the most high have knowledge? Asaph says in verse 12, this is what the wicked are like. They're always carefree. They increase in wealth. They never have any issues, never have any problems. They got all the money they need. They got all the the women that they they want and desire. They they don't have anything wrong with them. And then he goes on to say what, what he's dealing with. He says, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. I mean, this is so relatable. Asaph's a struggling musician. Come on, we got any struggling musicians out there today? You know, that, that's a real. And he, he's questioning things. He's, he's frustrated. He's angry. You've been there. I've been there. You know, I remember when I was 12 years old. It was on a Wednesday night, we came home and there we had a lampshade on the corner table that fell and broke on the floor. And you know, my dad is like, 
son. He, he looks at all of us. He's like, who broke that? Now, we knew that, you know, we had a cat at the time. I think we had two cats at the time. And we knew the cat had knocked that lampshade over a couple times. So we knew it was the cat. It wasn't us. But, Dad, you remember this. You set us all down on that couch. And you said, who did this? And if you tell me the truth, you will not get punished. But the problem with me, you know, my dad mentioned last week that I don't like confrontation. I believe that I have learned to like confrontation. But when I was little, man, I hated confrontation. In fact, my defense mechanism was laughing. When I would get in trouble, I would laugh. And when I was confronted about things that I didn't do, I would still laugh. And so I would giggle and giggle to my dad, man, guilty. And so he's like, who did this? He looked at all four of us. And there I was just, <laughs> wasn't me. And he said, get to, get to your room. And on that night, I got spanked for telling the truth. Meanwhile, the cat who was the, 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 the guilty, the culprit, was still loved, was still pet, was still fed. I mean, come on. That's why I don't like cats to this day. How fair is that? Can I ask you a question? What happens when your theology clashes with your reality? What happens when there isn't justice where there is injustice? What happens when you start to suffer for doing good? Well, Asaph experiences this. And if you're taking down notes this morning, I've titled this, When Life Isn't Fair. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. And this is your house. This is your place. We are your people, and this is your word. And so, God, you move only how you want to move. You teach only how you want to teach. And as always, as we open up this word, as we read your scriptures, no matter what age, no matter how much knowledge we know or don't know, God, it shapes us. And so I pray right now over everybody listening online, everybody in this house, that there would be a willing spirit to receive a willing spirit to learn, a willing spirit to open up their hearts and their minds to whatever it is that you want to show us and teach us. So we love you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said in one loud voice, amen, amen. Turn to the person next to you one more time and say, life is not fair. Life is not fair. You know, we, we had a Friendsgiving with our young adults, by the way. Come on, could we give it up for all those who showed up? Because we had a lot, we had a great turnout. I got to give a shout out. I don't know if he's in here, it's Artie Sibio. Artie was the, our, our chef because, um, you know, us young people, we just don't have no idea how to put something that big into an oven. So uh, he cooked the turkey for us, and, and it was amazing. But I brought home an apple pie, and I, I came home with my wife, and I brought some whipped cream, and my son was like, my five-year-old, he's like, ooh, apple pie for me. And I was like, nope, that's only for mommy and daddy. He said, why? And I said, just because. Life isn't fair. Now that I got kids, I can do whatever I want and tell them to do whatever I want until they get older and realize that might be, that might be bad parenting. You remember the, the story of Job? You know, Job's an interesting character, and I'm not gonna, we're not going to read the book of Job, and I'm just going to give you the brief summary of what, what takes place because um, it's important in this particular subject. You know, Satan has a conversation with, with God, and he says, you know, that, that, that character over there, Job, man, he's great because he has everything, but uh, let me take away everything from him and watch he's going to deny you, and God says, okay, try it. And so, so Satan gets approval from God to take everything from Job except his life. And Job would easily present that question, God, why am I a righteous man suffering? Now we got Asaph, who's the chief worship leader in the sanctuary, who's asking a similar question, but he also proposes another side to this question. Not just that why do righteous people suffer, but why do the wicked people not suffer? Come on, let's be honest. You ever wondered that? 
man, why, why, why do the, the wicked suffer? We know that we as believers suffer, right? It doesn't matter how long you've been in the faith. It doesn't matter how long you've been showing up to church. We get it. Persecution, suffering is written all through this scripture. Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. John 16, 33, in this world you might have, no, that's wrong. You will have trouble. 2 Timothy 3, 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you thought that you wouldn't suffer when you accepted Jesus, then you were fooled. If you thought that all your credit card debt would be washed away by the blood of the lamb when you got saved, then you were listening to a different kind of gospel. That's just not, that's just not the reality. Because Paul says in Philippians 1.29, he says, For it has been granted to you, somebody say me, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to what? To suffer for him. So this life isn't just about believing but now we know that it's been granted, it's been given to us to also suffer. One author put it this way, look up and take each throb of pain, each hour of agony as a gift. Dare to thank him for it. Look inside the envelope of pain for the message it enfolds because it is a rough packing case, but there is treasure in it. Come on, how many know that there is treasure in it? There is rewards in it. There is goodness in it. We know what the end of the story looks like. Write this down if you're taking notes. In your suffering, God is refining your character. In your suffering, God is refining. God didn't get rid of all your problems when you got saved. You got a whole new set of them. You got a whole new perspective on them. I heard it said, don't trust a Christian who hasn't ever said, my God, my God, why haven't you forsaken me? Because David said it. More importantly, Jesus said it. So, so, you know, we get that. That makes sense to us as believers. We're going to suffer. We're going to experience persecution. We're going to go through it. We got to. That's, that's what the scripture says. But the question still remains that Asaph presents. He says, okay, I, I get why the righteous people are going to suffer, but why are the unrighteous people not suffering? And then the other side of that coin is, why are they flourishing? Why do they seem to be prosperous? Why does the wicked continue to get more wealthy? And so I want us to, to look at where Asaph begins because that's, that's very important of how he starts this psalm off in verse 1. Let's read Psalm 73. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is what anchors him. This is what sets him differently than anybody else because, you know, Asaph, who's struggling a lot asking these questions, he's not, and it's not an atheist, he's not agnostic either. Because to be honest, a lot of this questioning might lead to that, but it doesn't for Asaph. When the trials come, when the tribulations come, when things that don't really make sense are presented your way, if you are rooted in Christ, you can handle it. You can get through it. You don't have to abandon the faith just because all of a sudden you experience one little moment of persecution and suffering. So Asaph understands this. He gets this. In fact, he starts off this psalm by saying, God is good to those who are pure in heart. In fact, he reminds God of his covenant that he made with Israel. He said, you're good to Israel. Surely you are good to Israel. Surely you keep your promises. God would deliver us. God would spare us. God would reward us. Church, you have to believe this. Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God because anybody who comes to him 
must believe that he exists and that he, here's the best part, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Anybody looking forward to the rewards that he has for you? Come on. Anybody looking forward to the glory day? Anybody looking forward to that? Like, I, man, I can't wait. I may not have much here, but I know in Christ I have plenty. I may not have much now, but I'm not focused on now. I'm focused on eternity. Now, Asaph understands that in the beginning. Surely God will be good to those who respond to him. Surely God will be good to those who seek him. Surely God, because why else would you pray if you didn't believe that? Why else would you fast if you didn't believe that? Why else would you try to live a holy life if you didn't believe that God was going to reward you? That God was going to bless you? That God was going to do what he said he was going to do? Do you remember Noah? God said, I need you to build a boat. God, why would I build a boat? Do you see the drought we're in? But what does he do? He's, he's, he's obedient. And what's the reward? Noah and his whole family is spared. You remember Abraham? God said, Abraham, I need you to go to this unknown land. But God, man, I love where I'm at. But God, I have my family here. I have my job here. I have my career here. I have my house here. But, but Abraham, I need you to go to an unknown land. What did Abraham do? He obeyed. Where did he go to? He would enter into the promised land. What about the Israelites who show up to the walls of Jericho? Armed for battle. No, they were armed to blow some trumpets and walk around some walls. God, this is foolishness. If you obey me, just, just hold on. Just keep being obedient, and I will reward you. I will bless you. Just, just continue to be obedient. I need you to walk around these walls how many times? Come on, seven times. And I need you to blow some trumpets. Blow some, blow some trumpets. Well, we got some swords here. Not sure if a trumpet's going to blow anybody down. No, I need you to blow some trumpets. Okay, God, we're going to walk around this place and blow some trumpets. And what happened? The walls came tumbling down. Why else would you do what God tells you to do if you didn't think that he was going to give you what he told you he was going to give you? Now, I like to think that I don't just do things because I know I'm going to get things. I do things because God has commanded me to do things whether I get things. Amen? It's just, it's just obedience. But... But this is, what, this is what we need to believe. We need to start acknowledging that he will do things. He will, he will give us what, he, what he's promised. And so how we pray is important. How we start our prayers off is important. Some of you are too busy reminding the devil of all the things that you don't have. Start reminding him of all the things that you do have. Start reminding him of how good and faithful your God is. Remember that Acts prayer? Start with acknowledging, not questioning. Start with acknowledging, not asking. And so I, I, I adore God first. I acknowledge God first. God, surely you are good to those who are pure in hearts. So I, so I admire Asaph. I commend Asaph. He's a struggling musician trying to make ends meet. He's, he's, he's sitting here looking at why he's suffering and why his friends who are in the world are prospering. And so just like you and I, he's troubled. He's, 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 he's angry. He's ready to throw, the, throw in the towel. He's ready to walk away. And it's because of his foundational truths that he thinks this way. Like, if he didn't believe that God was going to be good to him, then, then it wouldn't matter. But because he believes that God is good to him, this matters. God, life, is unfair. And so I want to look at two things today. I want to look at um, unfairness through man's perspective, and then I want to look at unfairness through God's perspective. So I want to give you just two things if you're taking down notes. Let's, let's notice the lens which Asaph views unfairness. He says, surely God is good to Israel. This is verse 1 of Psalm 73. He says, he's good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, 
my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envy the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here's the issue, and it's in verse 2. Because in the same breath that many of us believers proclaim the goodness of God, we got to throw in a butt. And if I could just quote my brother-in-law who was a pastor here for like 15 plus years, he would always say, anytime there is a but in the Bible, it is big. And it often will lead down to dangerous places. Can I get an amen? Right? God, you are good, but. God, you are gracious, but I don't still have what I'm asking for. God, you are magnificent, but um, I'm still struggling. But I'm still single. But I can't pay the bills. But you said you'd do it, but. It's time, church, to eliminate all the buts. Amen? Amen? Because, you know, I see what God can do, and I see what God can promise, and I see what God can deliver me out of, but I still have my excuses. I still have my reality, and that's where the issue is, is when our theology classes with our reality, we tend to side a little bit more on the reality. Yeah, but you're praying. But just look at this, you know, in, in actuality. It just doesn't really make sense. I don't think your prayers can answer this. And and that's a dangerous place, church, to be in, to sit in. He says, you know, the reason why I threw in a butt there, God, is because I envied. This is verse 3. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, I envied. God, you are good, but I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And because of that, I almost fell. I almost slipped. I almost lost my foothold. It's because of what he sees. It's his point of view. It's his perspective. Do you know that what happens when we start to dig a little bit too deep in just what we see? We start to draw conclusions. We start to create things that we think are factual when they're not. And now it's become part of us. The truth that we established and created and fabricated when we were little now becomes truth at an older age. But it really wasn't ever truth because we didn't see into it. We just saw it. Because I, I can only see what I can see. Therefore, I make assumptions, and now I make conclusions. It's instilled in us at a little age. It's in our DNA. As a, as a little kid, listen, I got three little kids, and I tell them, if you obey, here's a reward. But if you disobey, here's the back of my hand. I'm just kidding. I'm doing the back of my hand. I, I spank him with the front of my hand. So, so that, that's, that's the truth that we've established. And now as we get a little bit older, we get into our 30s. We get into our 40s. We get into our 80s. This is still um, as, as true as it is when we were little, that good will be rewarded and bad will be punished. But let's be honest. Is that always the case here in this world? No. Do we want it to be? Yes. Do we want it to be for us on the bad side? No, absolutely not. But for the bad people, yes, God, you said they will be punished. And you said, God, that good will be rewarded. So we, be- we believe that. We, we want to believe that. And to be honest, nothing-, nothing is wrong with believing that. We praise God for that. But we know that it's not always in the now. Remember, it's about shifting our perspective to eternity. Because in the, in the now, I may not be rewarded. But in the end, come on, somebody, in the end, when I get to breathe the breath of heaven, where pain is gone, where mercy is filling the streets, where death is no more, where a thousand generations is shouting and declaring, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Come on, I look towards that. That is my reward. That is when I will get into heaven one day and God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all I need. 
I don't need anybody else to tell me how good I am or tell me how great things are. I just want God to tell me that I've done a good job and I have been faithful. Amen? That's what I long for. That's what I desire. So I know in the end, good is going to be rewarded. And I know in the end, bad is going to be punished. But Asaph was so focused on the now. And what he saw now led him to envying the arrogant. Because of what I saw, I'm no longer content with what I have. I'm no longer content with who I'm with. And now I've become resentful. Now I've become angry. Now I've become upset. No wonder why people abandon the faith. Because they, they listen to that prosperity gospel down the street that told them that everything that you want, you'll get if you get saved. And they don't have it. In fact, their life seems to be worse than it was before. Now I got way more problems, God, than I had before I got saved. You said that all my issues would be gone, all of my debts would be settled. But you see, I'm looking through the lens of now. I'm looking through the lens of man. I'm so nearsighted. I have forgotten that God isn't worried about now. He's worried about eternity. He's worried about what's going to happen in the future. And so if you only see through the perspective of what you've been seeing, then you have not been fully seen. In fact, he describes what he sees. Look at me with verse 4. This is what he sees, right? This is his perspective. He's looking through the lens of man. He says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff, they speak with malice, and their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possessions of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them, and they drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the God or the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. This, this, by the way, this is mastery right here. Sometimes you got to look at the Psalms and say, man, that, that, that is good writing. He's talking about the, the rise of fame and fortune with zero accountability. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes 1, or, or chapter 8, verse 11, it says, When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Man, nobody caught me then. I said, let's try it again. Well, nobody caught me then. Well, let's do it again. And now I've lived, lived, lived a life for 20 plus years, never been caught. Nobody knows what I've been doing. Nobody knows where my hands are. Nobody knows what I'm looking at. So, man, I'm just going to keep on doing it. But we know the end. And, and here's the thing, because he throws in this, this verse in verse 10. He throws this in here, which is, which is it's just incredible. He says, therefore, their people... Turn to them, and they drink up waters in abundance. In other words, listen, celebrity worship isn't a new thing. It was happening then and there. We, we, we have this obsession with people who are successful. We have this obsession with fame and fortune. We, we want it. We want to see it. We read all about it. Some of you know more about your celebrity crush than you know about the man in this book. I mean, you desire to know. There's nothing wrong with watching somebody or liking somebody. Nothing wrong with that. But when there is an obsession to drink up everything from them, that's where it gets dangerous. We've been there. We're so intrigued. We're so captivated. And you start to look at that long enough, and now you start to be um, resentful of what you have. You start, well, you start driving down A1A. I don't know if you've ever been on A1A in like Delray Beach and Boynton Beach where I live, but, man, those houses are so big. And all of a sudden, 
My 1,600 square foot house looks really small. You know, the car that I drive I think is nice, but when I start seeing cars that are a little bit nicer, all of a sudden my car isn't nice anymore. When I see kids who are succeeding in life and doing great and the parents are really great, I'm like, I'm a horrible parent. I can't raise my kids like they raise their kids. When I start looking at other women, I start to think, you start to think, man, I just don't know if mine's sufficient for me. I'm just eating it up. I want it. I want to know. I want to see. I want to see, and I crave it. And then all of a sudden, I become envious of it. And now I start to question everything. And if you sit it that long enough, if you, if you sit in that suffering while seeing the wicked prospering, you immediately forget about what you have and how good God has been to you. You start to desire. You start to say, well, that, that just doesn't make sense, Lord. Life isn't fair. Why, why are they prosperous? Why, why are they healthy? They seem to have zero problems. They have great health. They're being rewarded. They're being blessed. That just, that just makes me. God, where are you in my life? Why do I have issues? Why are my HOA fees and, and assessments going up? It's only me. It's not my neighbor. It's got to be only me, right? That's what we think because that's what we believe. Because you've had some type of flawed theology that somehow when you got saved that the world was going to treat you a little differently with a little bit more sensitivity. Oh, you, you, you're a believer? You know, I know you tithe to the church, so we're going to give you a little bit of discount. Amen. Come on. When I walk into stores, I'm just ready for the, the kingdom of God. I'm, I want that kingdom percentage. That's what I want. Because I believe that that's how I should be treated. Well, guess what? The world doesn't treat you with any sensitivity at all. In fact, they treat you worse. They don't want anything to do with it. Oh, you're a believer? Oh, I'm very sorry. You're not welcome here. Oh, that didn't happen in the United States of America. Oh, it, it does. And it probably will continue. It just doesn't make sense, God. Come on, Lord. Like, what, what's going on? I'll never forget. My wife and I went and saw this movie called Unplanned back in 2019. Maybe you've seen it. It's about Planned Parenthood and about a woman who was in it and then got out of it and then started trying to help people in it. i got to be honest, it's a little graphic. They show you what goes on and what happens. And, um, you know, my, my wife and I had our first son at the time, but then we were really eager. I, I was really eager to have number two. I was ready to go after the first one came out. And I'm like, Let, let's get them all out up front, right? And, uh, well, we, we found out that it wasn't that, that easy to have another child. And so we walked through a miscarriage. And, you know, I know what that feels like. If you've been there, I know what that feels like. I watched my wife weep and cry over losing a child. In fact, we've just, we've just watched two people really close to us lose a child. And we're questioning, like, God, we're good people. Why are we suffering? We just want another kid. You told us to be fruitful and multiply, and we got one, and now we need two. And then we got pregnant again, and we were like, let's go. God is good. And then we, we, we had another miscarriage. And so I set up the scene because now I'm in the movie theater and I'm watching this movie called Unplanned. And I'm like, I'm like weeping and crying. You know, babies are getting murdered. And, 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 and now I'm sitting here. Now I'm starting to get upset. I'm questioning God. I'm saying, God, and I remember this because I remember having this conversation with my wife on the drive home. I said, why would God not allow us to have children, at least a second child, when people all in this world are having children and don't even want them? Why would you do that to me, Father? I'm serving at your church. I'm preaching your word. I want to have another child. My wife wants to have another child. But why do they get to have children when they don't even want children? Why does that happen to them? They didn't even want the job. 
They didn't want that car. They got a free car. They didn't even want it. I'm over here desperately trying to get to point A to B because I got three wheels on my car and I can't seem to go anywhere. I need it, God. But why are they getting rewarded? Why are they getting blessed? And I got to be honest, if you sit in that long enough, it's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place. And I, and I, I immediately got out of that. And I was like, God, I know you're going to use what we're going through to tell somebody who also is going through about you and about your goodness. So I, so I kind of shifted my perspective a little bit, but it was still a struggle in that moment. Asaph is watching all of these people who are wicked prospering, watching all of these wicked people's investments growing. Meanwhile, his investment isn't doing anything, it seems. And, and this is what he says. Look in verse 13. He's like, he's like, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. He, he's like you and I. God, I've been good. I've obeyed. You know, I've suited up for battle, and I, you know, I've saluted you. I've read my Bible. I go to church. Why aren't, why aren't I getting the raises that I want? I've kept my heart pure, he says. I've washed my hands in innocence, but yet all day long I have been the one afflicted. All day long I have been the one every single morning waking up to new punishments. Can I, can I ask you an honest question? And for those watching on online, you know, you walk into this sanctuary and you see right above those doors a phrase that has been near and dear to our heart, my dad's heart, and will continue to be to this church, living God's way. But can I ask you an honest question? Do you ever wonder if trying to live God's way is really worth it? You ever, you ever wondered that before? Do you ever scratch your head and say, God, is this really, is this really worth it? Can I take you to Habakkuk chapter 1? If you have your Bibles, go over there. It's just a few chapters ahead. Habakkuk. Or Habakkuk, whatever you want to say it. Um, you know, Habakkuk is, is quite possibly also, you know, he's a prophet, but he also might be a psalmist if you look in chapter 3. And Habakkuk is wrestling with God, asking some um, questions because, you know, there was an army, an enemy, a nation called Babylon that was in the rise. Meanwhile, you know, their people, God's people were suffering. And so Habakkuk kind of speaks on behalf of them, and he says this in verse 2. I'm just going to read the first Three verses. Verse two, he says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not what? Listen. And then he goes and says, oh, I'm not going to call anymore, but I'm going to cry out to you. In other words, I'm going to scream out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. In other words, the law seems to be powerless, and justice never prevails, and the wicked, him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. In other words, God, justice seems to be a joke. Again, I ask you, do you ever wonder if it's really worth serving and living the way that God has intended for you to live? Is it really worth it? By the way, God responds, and he's like, yeah, that, that, them Babylons, yeah, I'm, I'm rising them up to bring my judgment on you. And Habakkuk's like, why would you do that? Why would you use evil? I think this is the questions that we would ask too. Why would you condone evil? And why are you just, just watching it happen? Why are you approving this? That's a dangerous place to be. That's a, that's, those are some dangerous questions to ask. They're not wrong to ask, but if you sit in it long enough, Again, if you sit in this perspective long enough, only by what I can see, who knows what you'll start to question? Who knows what you'll start to abandon? Who knows what you will start to leave? Now, eventually, Habakkuk comes around, and I would tell you, read this book. It's only a few chapters. It's only three. 
And there's just some crazy things in this book. There's some incredible poetry. Man, I just love the Bible because I don't just read it, but I, I like read it and I'm like, man, that was good. That was amazing. So Habakkuk eventually gets it and, he, and he, he, he turns around and he responds in the way that God is wanting him to respond. But if you're not rooted and grounded in Christ, those kind of words might make you leave the faith if you continue to sit in that. So I think it's an important lesson for us as believers to understand that one, it's okay to tell God how we feel. It's okay to admit our perplexity or to admit that we're just puzzled about things. Don't harbor those questions in eternally. Don't, don't hold on to those things and certainly don't ask the wrong people. Right? Don't go to the wrong sources. Ask for questions. You know, ASAP, was his life really that bad? The reason why I ask that question is because many scholars would say no. He's exaggerating a little bit. But he's still listening to his feelings. And our feelings matter to us. And the thing about having bad feelings is the only remedy for bad feelings is good feelings. And they got to be immediate. And odds are, if they're immediate, they're not going to last very long. And so you've got to be rooted. You've got to be grounded in Christ. When you feel this way, speak your mind and then do something that you may not have done. And that is acquire God's perspective. So let's look at viewing unfairness from God's perspective. If you're taking notes, this is the second thing. Look at verse 16 and let's go back to Psalm 73. Let's view unfairness from God's perspective. He says, when I tried to understand all this, right, I'm, I'm like figuring this all out. God, why, why, why am I suffering as a believer? Why don't I have what I'm praying for? And, and why does Joe over here, you know, got it all going on? Why does Susan have it all figured out? Why does my friend Russ over here have a great family and meanwhile my kids are abandoning me and don't want anything to do with me? How is he a better father than me? He didn't even know Christ. So as I'm sitting here, Asaph says, as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, as I'm trying to understand all this, it, it's, it troubles me deeply. And here's the key verse. And if you've got a highlighter, write this down. He says, until I enter the sanctuary of God. All changes. Until I enter the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. This, is, this might be one of the theme verses for all of the book of Psalm. Every single book, every single chapter. You think about David, he's like, God, you've abandoned me. And then he comes over here and he's like, but God, you have restored me. Something happened in the middle of that. God, you've abandoned me and God, you've redeemed me. God, you have forsaken me and God, you are always with me. Something happens there in the middle. Something happened with Asaph when he said, I'm deeply troubled by all this. It just doesn't really make sense to me. I just don't understand it. But once I entered into the sanctuary of God, I was ready to throw in the towel. I was ready to give up my, my instruments. But once I entered into the sanctuary of God, come on, I saw from God's perspective. I saw their final destiny. Notice where he goes. He didn't go to his old high school buddies. He didn't go to the bar. He didn't go to Twitter. He, didn't ask, he doesn't ask people who aren't going to care about his soul what he's troubled with. Where does he go? He goes to the church. He goes to the believers. He says, Pastor, I need help. Do you think if you showed up to these this doors on a Monday or a Tuesday and you said, hey, I really need some counseling, I really need some prayer, we'd say, you know, we're too busy studying for next week's message. Of course not. We'd open up our doors. 
We'd let you come into this room. We'd pray with you. We'd open up the scriptures. That's what happens when you enter the sanctuary of God. Your perspective begins to change. You, just, you don't just see how you see things, but now you start to see things how God sees things. Most of us have gone to different places, and we know the outcome. We know the answers we're going to get. But when we turn to the Lord, when we step into where his spirit dwells, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's the difference between God and the world. The world doesn't care about your soul. God does. The church does. We care about you. If you're troubled, if you're hurting, cast all your anxiety on him. It says this in verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while. Come on, how many of you have suffered in this place? Come on, after you have suffered for a little while, he himself will restore you and make you strong. Come on, somebody received this this morning. He will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Thank you, Jesus. Write this down. When I am troubled, I will enter the sanctuary of God. I can't tell you how important this is showing up to church. I can't tell you how important this is. Even scripture says don't neglect the meeting of, of believers. Don't, don't forget about this. Because many of us, we, we get away from church for a little bit, and, it, and then we start to think a little bit differently. Man, I don't really need church. I'm, I'm good just sitting at home reading my Bible. And then it's like, I don't even need to read my Bible. I could just watch things online. I have people tell me all the time, they're like, you know who my pastor is? And they go on and list somebody online that lives in a different state or a different country that's some celebrity preacher. And I'm like, he, that's really your pastor? You can call him, confess your sins to him. They can help you when you're struggling with some bills. Oh, no, no, they, they, would, never, they would never answer my phone call. That's your pastor? That's your shepherd. And then at some point you start to think, well, nobody cares about me anymore. And in fact, Mark over here is making more money because he, he's working on Sunday. And so... If I could just work on Sunday, then I might just make, make some more money. You know, if, if they're investing over here in stocks and not in the church anymore, I'm, I might just start investing in stocks because that might do better for me. Because I, I have not, you know, received my return in my investment in the kingdom of God. Man, if you ask that question, that is a dangerous question to ask. God, where is my, my return in my investment into your kingdom? God will say, you'll get it when you're dead, when you're in heaven. That's not a good place to be. You know, you know, the world keeps telling me that prayer isn't enough, so I need to start acting. Maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe I need to start acting a little bit more. When I'm troubled, I just need to start doing. I need to, I need to abandon prayer because it doesn't seem to be working for me. But see, it's those moments when you're troubled and you show up to the sanctuary of God. You get around to some, with some believers who love God and are concerned about your soul. They will start to bring you back to the truths and the basics about him and his word. Man, I know now that God is good. And I know that God is, if you believe that God is sovereign, then you gotta believe that he is good. When I'm troubled, I enter the sanctuary. If I'm confused, I bring it under the word of God. Not anything else. Again, Asaph is envious over the prosperous lifestyle of the wicked. And what happens when he views unfairness now through a different perspective? Look at verse 17. He says in verse 17, I entered the sanctuary of God, and I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground, and you cast them down to ruin. And how suddenly are, everything's starting to shift in his mind now. You know what? I know what happens if they die tonight. He says, how suddenly are they destroyed? 
completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Look at verse 27. He says, those who are far from you, who are prospering, who aren't suffering, who are abstaining masses amounts of wealth while being wicked, he says, they will perish. In fact, you destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. Oh, the power of new perspective. When you start to open up this thing, it changes everything about you. Not only how you speak, not only how you walk, but how you see. Right? You were questioning things before, and then you have the word of God, and you're like, oh, that makes sense now. I'm now more of an optimist. We got any optimists in this room? We got any pessimists in this room? <laughs> Reminds me of the boy who told his dad. He said, Dad, look, after, after drinking a glass of milk, half of it, he said, Dad, look, I'm an optimist. Half glass empty. And his father said, no, half glass empty, is a, that's a pessimistic view. And he said, no, Dad, you're wrong. I'm an optimist. It's all about if you don't really like what's in it. He said, I don't, I don't like it, and so I'm almost done with it. That's why it's half empty, Dad. Man, I got a whole new perspective on that. I'm like, man, this is good because it matters what's in it. And so I know what's in it, and I know the end of the story. And so I'm looking, Asaph's looking, saying, God, I know what is the end for those who are wicked. Now it makes sense. You know, I, I was deeply troubled. I was thinking and pondering, questioning. And then I entered the sanctuary of God, and he steps into church. And I don't know if he heard some fire and brimstone message. That's not Sunday, but he was like, if you're a sinner, you're going to hell. Oh, they're, oh, they're sinners. I, duh. I know where they're going to go. And I, I don't think he's prideful in any sense. Please don't hear what I'm not, but that tone. I, I just think he's reminded of, oh, that's where they're, they're going to end up. That, that's new perspective. He understands the bigger picture, church. He enters the sanctuary of God, and he sees the destiny of those that he was envying. Listen, church, I know fame is appealing. I know when you, when you see people with the, the blue check on Twitter, which I guess now you can pay for, I know you just want to be like them sometimes. I know what they have is desirable. But once you open up the word, you say, oh, that's where they end up. When we see things from God's perspective, we see the final destiny of the wicked. Let me read a passage in Psalm 37, verse 1. Psalm 37 says this, Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Some of you need to put this passage on your mirror every time you wake up. You need to be reminded of this. Because as you, as you venture out on your day, you might be asking, God, I could do some evil, and it could feel good, and it can be right, and I could gain some things. And if I try to pursue you, I might not get all that I want and all that I feel, but what's, is it worth it, or is it worth it to do that? Well, Psalm 37 here tells us, don't fret, don't be envious of them. Don't desire what they have, because what they have will soon wither, and it'll soon die away. And I now know, and you now know, the pursuit of wicked and the destiny that it holds. What does he see? What does he discover when he enters the sanctuary of God? Let me just read these last few verses and look at verse 21. He says, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. But 
Well, there's no but in the scripture, but it is just, in my mind, there's a but there, okay? He says, I, I was ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, but I am always with you. But you have been holding me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me in to glory. Let me read that scripture again. He says, you're always with me. You hold me by my right hand. And he says in verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, when it's all done, when it's all worth it, when it's all put on paper, when I've, when I've sweat blood and I've sweat tears and I've given everything of my life, I've said no to things, I've said no to jobs, I've said no to moving, I've said no to income, I've said no to all of this because I know at the end, afterwards, where I'm going, I know it's gonna be worth it. I know you are taking me into glory. He says in verse 25, who have I in heaven but you? And, and what on earth? has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. My God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You wanna know what sustains you eternally? It's God and his word. That's what sustains you eternally. He says, you are my portion forever. Man, what, what, what shifted, what changed? God, I know you're good, but look at all these wicked people prospering. In fact, I've been jealous of them. I've been envious of them. And because of that, I almost slipped. And then all of a sudden, somebody invited me to church again. All of a sudden, I was driving down old hiatus and I saw a sign that said, Victory Life Church, Sundays at 10, 15 a.m. Well, you know what? It's 10.02. And I got some time. Let me just pop in here and see what's going on. I was, I was you know, doubting. I was troubled. And then I... And then I got on YouTube and I was trying to watch some videos and I saw live stream, Victory Life Church or live stream, whatever other church you saw. And then you started watching. And then all of a sudden, God, as he always does, begins working. I was watching, God was working. I stepped into a sanctuary and God began to step in to my misery. God began to step in to my story. God began to step in to my troubling. God began to step in to what I was so confused about, but I entered the sanctuary of God, and now I know that He is my portion forever, church. Forever and ever and ever. Look at verse 28. You know, we know what they're going to do and where they're going to be, but as for me, it is good to be near God. Come on, it is good to be near God. It is good to be in His presence. It is good to be in, by His Spirit. It is good to be in the sanctuary because it was when I was in the sanctuary that I understood everything. Not, not, not everything, but I understood what I needed to understand at that time. And that was that He is my portion forever. And He says, because of that, I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell all of your deeds. Write this down if you're taking notes. The best part of being a believer is that we don't live by explanation, but we live by his promises. I don't live by explanation. I don't need all the, all the information. I don't need all, all the details. I don't need it to make sense right now in the natural. It's going to make sense in the spiritual. And this is what happens with, with ASAP. There's a shift from thinking like a normal man and now thinking like a spiritual man. 
there's a shift in his perspective because he steps into the presence of God and the, the perspective he now gains is that God will provide, that God is my refuge, that God is my redeemer, that God is my strength, that he is my portion forever, that he is the only thing that I need that's gonna satisfy me. I get it now, but it took me stepping into the sanctuary of God. Church, you didn't think that it was gonna be worth it until you stepped into the sanctuary of God. You didn't think your marriage was gonna last until you stepped into the sanctuary of God, until you found a Christian couple that you saw it can work. It didn't make sense to me. I was ready to end it until I stepped into the sanctuary of God. Come on, if that's been you, would you stand to your feet? I thought my life was over until I stepped into the sanctuary of God. Man, I had no hope until I stepped into the sanctuary of God. Man, I never thought I'd have kids until I stepped into the sanctuary of God. And even if I don't ever have kids anymore, or I never have kids, I now have a different perspective. Because stepping into the sanctuary of God changes everything. I know the end of the story. I know the rewards at the end. I know that glory is my destiny. Come on, anybody thankful that glory is your destiny? Where the mercy is gonna fill the streets? Where pain is gonna be no more? Where death is gonna be no more? We're gonna get to sing and shout, worthy is the lamb who was slain? This pain is worth it. This suffering is worth it. Can I read one last passage for you? This is Romans. And then we'll pray, we'll sing. And I, and I want the team to lead us in that song again because I, I just think now that we have read the scripture, this might change a little bit of how we view, of how we declare, of how we praise. But this is Romans chapter eight, verse 17. Come on, would you just, would you receive this? Now, if, if we are children, come on, if I am a child of God, I am a son of God, I am a daughter of the King, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And here it is, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Father, in this moment right here, right now, would you reveal to us, Father, your goodness and your mercy. Help us to stop questioning Help us to stop sitting in that questioning for so long that we start doubting and abandoning. Lord, how, how we long to breathe. How we long to breathe. We know, we know the glory. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.